0: several weeks measuring ourselves against the very first church described in Acts chapter 2. And we really kind of opened up and expanded the phrase at the beginning of verse 47, praising God. And we underlined the fact that we should be a worshiping community. This morning we want to transition to the final characteristic of this first church, the final characteristic of a healthy And vibrant church. And that's found at the end of verse 47. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were having spiritual births daily. And if you come over in your Bible to chapter 5, after God did a little subtracting, he subtracted a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira, it says in verse 14, And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. So in the first church, multitudes were being added constantly, day by day by day. So the question is, how are we measuring up? The church is not an organization. The church is an organism. We are the body of Christ. And like your physical body, you have cells that are living and growing and multiplying. The same is true in the local church. And if we are not growing, we are dying. Now with that in mind, I want to consider four things this morning. First is our mission. We recently settled on a simple, easy-to-remember mission statement. It's on the front of your bulletin. It is knowing Him and making Him known. Now, that's not simply our mission statement. That is my mission statement. That is your individual mission statement. It is to know Him and to make Him known. And it's not a, just a clever little phrase that we made up, or in this case, we stole. It's clearly declared from cover to cover in your Bible. And what I want to do in point one is go back and show you in the Bible that this is God's mission for man from the very beginning. And because of that, we're not going to finish the outline this morning, so relax. Relax. But if you have your Bible, get your fingers nimble because I want to show you something that I think you'll find very exciting. I want to go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. And I want us to see that this is the very reason God created you. In Genesis chapter 1, on day 6, God created the animals in verses 24 and 25. And notice what it says. Then the Lord said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. Cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind. And that phrase, after their kind, is used five times in these two verses. God made the animals after their kind. What does that mean? Bears look like bears. You may have a polar bear, a grizzly bear, a black bear, but a bear's a bear. Cats look like cats. Dogs look like dogs. You may have a poodle. I've got a German shepherd. They're both dogs. He made the animals after their kind. And then, notice verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our. Likeness. Now, what does that mean? Bears look like bears. Dogs look like dogs. We look like God. That's pretty big. Now, he's not talking about physically. God doesn't look this way. He's t- talking about in our spirit, in our personality. We are like God. And listen, you alone, apart from everything else God created, have the capacity to enjoy God in a deep, personal, full, intimate relationship. That's what this means. Now, why did God do this for us? Was it because He saw some merit in us? Some inherent worth in us? What did He make you out of? Dirt. So God took dirt and made you in His image, which tells us the reason. The reason is all based in God's grace. And I think that's why the first word ever used to describe man is in verse 28. It says, God blessed them. We are blessed to enjoy the grace of God. We are blessed to have a relationship with the God of this universe. But that's not the end of the story. Because immediately after he says in verse 28 that God blessed us, notice what it says. And God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Now listen carefully. God made people in his image for a reason. And that reason is that we might multiply his image throughout the world. So he created man to enjoy his grace in this wonderful relationship with him and then to extend that grace throughout the entire world. Now before Adam and Eve had the opportunity to even start multiplying, sin entered the world. And sin marred the image of God and distorted the image of God in man. So this plan no longer worked. In fact, Adam and Eve had their first son, Cain, and what did he do? He killed his brother, so he became a murderer. So if you fast forward with me to Genesis chapter 12, you'll see God establishing another plan. Genesis chapter 12, he's going to establish his people his nation. And he calls Abraham to be the father of this nation. And notice what he says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And make your name great and so you shall be a blessing. In verse 3. And in you all the families of the earth will be Blessed. Does God bless Abraham just for Abraham's sake? No. God says, I am going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. I am going to bless you so that you will be a conduit for my blessing to all the nations on the earth. Go to Exodus chapter 9 with me. God delivered his people from Egypt. And to do that, he sent the plagues on Egypt. He turned the Nile into blood. He sent the frogs and the flies and the the gnats. Why did God send the plagues on Egypt? You say, well, to deliver his people from Egypt. Well, I'll give you half credit for that answer. Because let's look at God's answer to why he did it. Exodus chapter 9 and verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, and your servants, and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. Talking to Pharaoh, Pharaoh representing Egypt, I'm sending the plague so that you will know there's no God like me. And then look at verse 15. For it is by, for if, by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence. You then would have been cut off from the earth. I could have just sent one plague and destroy all of you in Egypt and let my people go if that's all I wanted to do. But notice verse 16. But indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to remain in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. What does God do? He lets his people enjoy his grace by being delivered so that he might extend his glory throughout the earth. Look over at Exodus chapter 14, just a few more pages. When God's people come out of Egypt, was it simply to enjoy his grace? No. No. In fact, if you look at the end of chapter 13, and we won't read it, but beginning in verse 17, it tells us when they came out of Egypt that God could have led them northeast through the land of the Philistines right into the promised land. But instead, God sent them southeast toward the Red Sea, and then he had them kind of backtrack and go around in circles for a while. What was his purpose? Look at Exodus chapter 14 and verse 3. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after them and I will be honored. I will be glorified through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am am the Lord. God blessed his people with this miraculous salvation so that God would be known throughout the world. I love the way Isaiah describes it in Isaiah 63, 12. He says, God divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name. You know why God had the temple built in Israel right in the center, the centerpiece for all of Israel? You say, I guess he needed a house. No. Solomon said in 2 Chronicles 6, 18, Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house which I have built. Why did he have them build a temple in the middle of Israel? Did God need a vacation home? Did God need a man cave or a God cave to hang out in? Listen, Exodus 25.8, God says, Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. God had them build the temple so that God would dwell among them, so that they would have relationship with him, so that they would have closeness with him so that they could worship him but that wasn't the end of the story because if you have your bible look at first kings chapter 8 first kings chapter 8 and verse 41 solomon is dedicating the temple and he says also concerning the foreigner is not of your people Israel, when he comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm when he comes and prays toward this house, here in heaven, your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name why did he build the temple so that they would know him dwelling among his people and make him known to all the nations look at Psalm 23 maybe the most familiar Psalm that we have most of you have probably memorized this Psalm but I bet you missed something Psalm 23. You know how most of us read Psalm 23? We read it like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. That's okay. Because that's enjoying God's grace. He is my shepherd. He meets me in the hardest part of life. He walks me through those things. That's wonderful. Have you ever read it this way? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green paths. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. Why? The next phrase says, for his sake. Why does he do that? Why does he shower his grace on you and me? Because he wants to extend his glory throughout the earth. What is in a name? A name is our identity. It's our reputation. It's our fame. God wants to make his name famous. The Bible tells us in a future day, At the name of Jesus, every knee knee will bow. And so God pours his blessing on us to magnify his name. We know him to make him known. Look at Psalm 67. Now be patient with this process because this is, I got into this, I didn't know how much there was going to be here. So I thought it'd be one point out of four. There's too much, and I cut out plenty. Psalm 67, notice what it says. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us. That's a great prayer. God, let us experience Your grace and Your blessing. Why? Verse 2. That Your way may be known on the earth, Your salvation among us all nations. Verse 7, God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. You see God blesses us to be a blessing. We know him so that we might make him known. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36, Israel didn't do a very good job of this. They disobeyed God. They didn't really even come to know Him, much less make His name known. So in Ezekiel 36, God promises to deliver them and He promises He's going to give them a new heart and listen to His reason. In Ezekiel 36, verses 22 and 23. He says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. What's God's purpose? What's his mission? That we would enjoy his grace in order to extend his glory. That we would know him in order to make him known. Look at Daniel chapter 3. Familiar story. We all love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king said, everybody bow down to my image. They refused to bow down. What happened to them? They're thrown into the fiery furnace. Great story. What's the point of the story? Well, we usually focus on their great faith. Out of all these people, they were the only three that stood up and said no to the king. They stood alone. They had great faith. Or we point out God's great provision They were thrown into the fiery furnace, and they didn't burn up. And when the king looked in the fiery furnace, he had thrown three men in there, and he says, I see four in there. And the fourth looks like the Son of God. Great application. Every time you suffer for the Lord, Jesus is going to be there with you. Great story. Great faith, great provision of God. Guess what? Most of us don't read the end of the story to get the bigger point. Because if you're in Daniel chapter 3, look at, the, at verse 28. It says, Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap. The king who said, everybody's got to worship me, is now saying, anybody who speaks against their God is going to be cut to pieces. And then in chapter 4, of Daniel, the king gives his testimony. And if you want to read a great chapter, this is a great chapter. It's Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. He gets to the end of Daniel chapter 4 and notice what he says in the very last verse. He says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Got a problem with pride? Read Daniel 4. Read the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of the world, arrogant, egotistical, and God broke him. He was insane for seven years and ate grass like a cow. And God restored him, delivered him, saved him. And this is his testimony. Now, who's he giving his testimony to? Is He giving it to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and a few believers on a Wednesday night in a little hut? Look at Daniel chapter 4, how he starts out. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs and how mighty are His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion is from generation to generation. Wow. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown into the fire so that Nebuchadnezzar could enjoy God's grace and extend God's glory to the ends of the earth we know him to make him known when you come to the New Testament it's even more clear what do we learn in John chapter 1 verse 14 the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory God became a man It's interesting. The word became flesh and dwelt. That word dwelt is literally the word tabernacled. Or the idea of the temple. You see what the temple failed to do in the Old Testament? Jesus did. Because he came to dwell among us as our new temple. And we're told in that same chapter in John chapter 1 that The people of Israel didn't come to this new temple. In fact, it says he came unto his own Israel, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, verse 12, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Jesus came as the new temple to dwell among us. And he did what the temple couldn't do or didn't do in the Old Testament, and that is draw all the nations to Himself. Look at Mark chapter 11. When Jesus did come to the temple, what did He do in the temple? You remember? Went in and made a whip and drove all the money changers out of the temple. You say... Why did He drive them out? We usually answer what? They were commercializing worship. They were making a profit from worship. Jesus was upset about that. Half credit again. Once you see Jesus' answer to why He did it, in Mark chapter 11 and verse 17, He drove them out and then it says, He began to teach and say to them, Is it not written... My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den. And that's a quote from Isaiah 56, 7 where the Lord says, Foreigners I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. You see, Jesus cleansed the temple because they were not fulfilling their mission. Their sinful, selfish, materialistic form of worship was a barrier to the nation's coming. I hope you're getting this. Our mission from the opening pages of Scripture all the way through is to enjoy... God's grace and extend His glory. Our purpose is to know Him and to make Him known. What were Jesus' final instructions to His disciples? Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples. You've known me for three and a half years Now make me known. Where are they to make disciples? Among whom are they to make disciples? Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And then he gives the particulars in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 when he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea And Samaria and the remotest part of the earth. What's a witness? A witness is somebody who has seen something and stands up to say something. That's a witness. If you know Jesus Christ, you are a witness that Jesus is alive. The question is are you taking the stand? Are you standing up and saying, I'm declaring that Jesus Christ is alive. I talked to him this morning. If we know him, our mission is to make him known. Tim Tebow got criticized recently by Jake Plummer, who was a former quarterback of the Denver Broncos, saying that Tim Tebow needed to curb his references to Jesus Christ and his faith. Tone it down a little bit. Here's what Tebow said. If you're married and you really love your wife, is it good enough to only say to your wife, I love her the day you get married? Or should you tell her, Every single day when you wake up and every opportunity. My relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important thing in my life. So anytime I get an opportunity to tell him that I love him or given an opportunity to shout him out on national TV, I'm going to take that opportunity. And so I look, so I look at it as a relationship that I have with him, that I want to give him the honor and glory anytime. time I have the opportunity. What time is it? Okay. I wanted to get to point two. Um, hang with me. Look, look, You know what Paul's mission was? We find it in Romans chapter 1 and verse 5. And there Paul says, Through Jesus Christ our Lord... We have received grace. We enjoy his grace, but he doesn't stop there. He says, through Jesus Christ our Lord, we have received grace and apostleship. What's the word apostle mean? To be sent out. We enjoy his grace and we have been sent out. So he says, through Jesus Christ our Lord, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles for his name's sake. That's his mission, to enjoy God's grace and to extend God's glory, to know him and to make him known. And for Paul, this wasn't just a motto. He laid aside everything else to see this mission accomplished in his life. In fact, let me share two verses with you. One is in uh, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. Paul says this, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. Can you say that? Paul could say, I have lost everything in order to know Jesus. And then the other verse. Is in Acts 21 13. It's near the end of his life, and others are trying to prevent him from going into dangerous territory to share the gospel. And he says, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. I have lost everything to know him. And I am willing to lose everything, including my life, to make him known. And ultimately, he did. All through history, from cover to cover in the Bible, I hope you see this. Our mission is to enjoy His grace in order to extend His glory. To know Him in order to make Him known. God blesses us to be a blessing. And so it's no surprise when we get to the last book in the Bible that we see the culmination of God's plan. We see the mission realized. In Revelation chapter 21, John sees God's new city, and guess what he says? He says, there's no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. In the city of God, there won't be a temple. Because God and the Lamb will be the temple. And we will know Him in the deepest possible way we can know Him. But that's only half the mission realized. Listen to this out of Revelation 7, verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. That's the culmination. We will know Him like we've never known Him. And we will be glorifying Him alongside people from every nation and tribe and tongue because He has been made known throughout the earth. And when you step back from that to where we are today, That is our mission, to see that realized. We know Him to make Him known. We enjoy His grace to extend His glory. God wants those people brought in around the world and the nations. And it's our responsibility to tell them. And so the question is, are we carrying out our mission? Now, you can sit here and say, well, the church is not doing it. Well, the church is you. So the key is, I have to live missionally as a person. I have to realize my mission as a person is to know him and make him known. And when we are operating with each one of us, carrying out that as our individual mission, then as a church, as a whole, we will see that accomplished. And if you can't say that you are living missionally, that you are carrying out the mission, then I would suggest to you that the reason is found in point two. And I'm going to just touch on it. And that is our disconnect. We live in a culture that has largely disconnected the grace of God from the glory of God. And it's easy to see why that is. It's because we like the grace of God. I mean, who's the grace of God about? It's about us. It's about God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. We love the idea of knowing Him. We come to church. We join Bible studies. We have our quiet time. We listen to Christian radio. What are we doing? We're trying to get to know Him better. When it comes time to make Him known, we don't seem to find time. We have disconnected knowing Him from making Him know. We enjoy grace. Love messages on grace. I could do a series on grace and probably grow the church. Grace is wonderful to talk about. We love songs about grace, amazing grace. But when it comes time to extend His glory, we get uncomfortable. And while, don't get me wrong, the wonder of God's grace is foundational. If you don't understand grace, you will never understand His glory. Grace is amazing. We have to understand grace, but if enjoying His grace doesn't lead to extending His glory, then we are living in a selfish Christianity. In fact, if I ask you this morning, What is the message of Christianity? I will bet that most of you would say the message of Christianity is that God loves me. The message of of Christianity is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The message of Christianity is God loves me enough That he gave his only son to die for me. That's true. That's a good answer. That's a great answer. But that's not a complete answer. Because you see, if God loves me, is the message of Christianity, then who is the object of Christianity? Me. If that's all it is, then it ends with who? Me. Some of us like that. We're comfortable with that. That's why we look for a church that suits me. I like messages that fit me. I like music that stirs me. I like programs for me my family. I plan my schedule around me. I spend my money on me. The extent of my prayers is God bless me. Listen. The message of Christianity is not God loves me, period. The message of Christianity is God loves me so that I might make him known. His greatness His salvation, His ways, His glory. We are not the end of the gospel. God is. We are not the end of grace. The end of grace is God's glory. The end of grace is this great multitude of people that nobody can count from every nation and tribe and tongue bowing down before Him and giving Him glory. And too often, I'm afraid, we have disconnected our mission, and we say, the mission of God is that I might know him, period. That's not it. The mission of God is that you might know him and make him known. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? If Jesus walked into his temple today, you know where his temple is today? He's, he's in heaven. You know where his temple is today? Individually, it's your body. Collectively, it's our body, the body of Christ. If he walked into his temple today, what would he say? Would he say, it looks like a robber's den? Or it's a house of prayer. Looks like a private club. Or I see a heart for the nations. This is a convicting message because it convicts me. I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. I'm as guilty as you are of wanting to enjoy God's grace and not realize that God has called me to extend his glory to the end of the earth. I am guilty of being heavy on the I want to know God and very light on the I want to make him known. We're going to continue this message next time. Now you got the foundation. Now I'm really going to hammer you next time. But I wanted you to see that from cover to cover, this is God's mission. We didn't just come up with it. God came up with it. And I trust that you will take this to heart and pray along with me. God, may I be like Paul willing to give up everything to know you and to make you know. I'm going to have the praise team come back and we're going to stand and sing. And as we do, let's reflect on these things. And then we'll close in prayer later.